Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder videos, and at tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream crafting Icewind Dale, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. If you are playing characters of all Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is not the right stream for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. There will, of course, be lots of spoilers. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash Rogue Watson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net for streaming. I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Apologies for being a few minutes late. I was literally wiping a toddler's ass. We are working on the whole potty training thing. Uh, it's like everything that involves uh, toddlers. It takes a... Uh, it's it's a lot of repetition. Uh, it goes very slow. You feel like you don't make a lot of progress, but it eventually becomes worth it. Eventually. <laughs> Positive reinforcement for all involved, I think. Uh, now we're going to talk about D&D. So we've got uh, a fight coming up. Oh, hello, folks. Uh, Stan Morgan, CG4279, Lazy DM. Jeremy, good evening to you. Good morning for me. Um, we've got a fight with the Peritons coming up, which I talked about this on Monday. Uh, this is going to be a straight up, just everybody roll initiative. The, uh, Gust of Wind spell is still ongoing. Edmund still has to concentrate on that. I don't remember if the Peritons attacked him and broke the concentration, so I'm just going to kind of give that one to him on that. Um, and, uh, however, there are, these ones are at least are in the air. These ones are not. And then at some point during the fight, I'm about... Uh, 80% sure that I'm going to spawn the Cold Light Walkers uh, during the fight, which are going to be the corpses rising up to uh, just kind of add um, another battle. And I think hopefully that'll make it a more dynamic and interesting battle because a bunch of Peritons aren't that strong, even though surprisingly I kind of kick the players' asses a bit. Uh, but that should make them leave even more leery. I'm hoping I can get rid of this gust of wind or, or change things around. What I don't want to end up having to do is the players... Um, completely destroy these peritons pretty quickly and then i'm left with the choice of well do i then do another fight right after the fight we just did with a bunch of walkers where the players can focus fire on them or do i just skip doing the walkers entirely so that'll be a tricky choice to make um i it probably would be worth running it again but i'm always cognizant of the the pacing and the time and trying to squeeze a lot of battle because I do want to get through the whole Remoraz thing too, which we're going to uh, talk about in a second. 
Um, the Goliaths also, I wrote down, had some loot on them uh, to the tune of Potion of Greater Healing and a Potion of Cold Resistance. So basically the effects of that, although it'd be um, like whatever the, the like herbal medicine versions of those potions, but effectively those would be those potions. I don't see them as having any treasures or anything on them. Uh, so the idea is they, they you know, they, they went in and, um, I don't, you know, what I don't have is what happened to their griffins. Um, hmm, I could just say the griffins just fucked off, like, or maybe the, well, I don't know. I guess I don't have to explain what happened to them, because they, they did have griffins at one point, and then they landed, and then went and maybe they left the griffins somewhere, and the griffins just left. I don't know. Maybe... Party can come across the Griffins at some point. I don't. I don't really have an idea for that. Um, but anyway, so the Goliaths were able to come into this cave, and uh, or, or maybe the Griffins were all eaten by the Remoraz, and then some of them. I don't know how many there were, but I've got some bodies on the map. Obviously, um, they thought they were going to go hunt a dragon, so uh, they were obviously underprepared for this battle, and they discovered an entire Remoraz nest in there. They fought very briefly, and then quickly got their asses kicked and started trying to retreat. Uh, and then that's when a few of them did make it out, and the Remoraz actually didn't decide to pursue because it's kind of, you know, watching over its broodlings and staying in there. So the few of them that made out, unfortunately, they succumbed to their injuries and the elements uh, and eventually perished. So I have it where basically none of them survived. I could change that and have it be where maybe there is a survivor somewhere um, that could help. Maybe maybe a Goliath got on their griffin um, or... Yeah, the problem is, Stan, if that is the case, and they would have returned home by then. So I kind of missed my opportunity there um, because they did say it would have been a couple days. Or maybe it's just coincidence then that by the time the party comes back, like a, a griffin or two has, you know, returned home or something and just happened to be that they didn't return home yet by the time the party left. I guess you could make that excuse. I could include a survivor. I haven't done that yet. Um, I don't know where the survivor would be. It would be... Mm. Or I don't have to. It could just be they're all dead. <laughs> we, you know, the reason I didn't, and I, I usually like it when adventures include that kind of RP moment where you get a chance, and it covers the social pillar quite well. Uh, whenever you find a survivor or rescue somebody in the dungeon, because that then solves your big social dilemma, and also they can provide information. It just checks a lot of good boxes. The reason I hadn't really done that here is because we just had two back-to-back -back sessions of like nothing but socializing and RP, so I feel like I really didn't have to inject that here, um, and I feel like there's not a whole lot of story that necessarily has to be told here that a survivor would be able to say versus um, just having a bunch of bodies and context clues, and frankly, that's true. I don't want the survivor to give it away, so if you found a survivor, it would have to be deeper in the layer um, to where you wouldn't find them later, and then I feel like, how did they, it just, it, it creates a lot of problems for me narratively, like, how did they survive that long, like, why the Remoraz has not killed them, you know, if, I guess they hold themselves up somewhere and just been hiding in there, but it almost becomes um, kind of a moot point to do that, so I think just, uh, you know, their mission was to come and check on these people, um, they all got killed, unfortunately, and uh, the Remoraz is the real threat, which is the real mission, unsurvive, yeah. Yep, okay. So I briefly thought about it, but I'm glad you all kind of confirmed that that would be more problems than it's worth. And like I said, I think we just had two back-to-back -back big RP sessions, so I'm not really needing to fill that void or anything. 
So none survived. In fact, even worse than that, uh, some of them will be risen as undead. I don't really have hard and fast rules about um, the Cold Light Walkers being created here. That might cause a lot of concern for the players in terms of like, well, were they like cultists or is Arl here or how does that work? And I don't plan on answering any of that because that's just kind of up for them to decide. In terms of my own rules, I think it's really just anybody that can die of um, exposure to the elements could rise as a cold light walker. And maybe that's just happening more often because our influence is becoming more um, direct and, uh, you know, as, as she's spreading. And, and maybe that's something that's happening to more bodies out in the wilderness. And, and more people are probably just dying from the elements anyway because it's been really harsh and awful. It's, you know, the, the permanite has created a lot more um, issues with that. So a lot more cold light walker opportunities. Uh, my players have fought one of these before, but only one by itself. I plan on having two of these corpses stand up in battle. And I, like I said, I would like to do it um, when the Periton battle is still ongoing. But I'm hoping to do it when this gust of wind is not still ongoing. So either the player, either Edmund can drop it or I can break his concentration or something. Because literally it is currently blasting. And that would kind of knock my Lightwalkers back. Although they do have their laser blast. They, they're actually still pretty effective at range, which is a... Very unique creature that is just literally, I think, equally as effective at range as it is in melee. Actually, I take that back. It only has a plus three attack for its range, so it doesn't hit as well. But it still gets two attacks. Um, as for the Icy Doom, I don't know if I'm actually going to use that or not. I mean, I'd still follow the uh, the death save rule, but it feels like it's just a, an extra pain in the ass for the players to deal with. Like, the fact that their body is frozen and they can't be raised, it's like, well, we just wait days and days and days and have that happen. Um, I guess maybe you could incur some kind of extra penalty that, uh, if a player goes down via a cold light walker. Like maybe they're they have some kind of lingering curse or something to where they are literally like partially frozen, almost like a lingering injury that maybe slows them down or does something horrendous that that the players would have to cure via like uh, some kind of greater restoration thing, which would also be very scary for them and and have to deal with cold light walkers in a whole new light. It's not a bad idea, because we we are familiar with lingering injuries here. Haven't had one in a while. Um, that would probably be in that case, but it wouldn't even that wouldn't go off unless. Hmm. This is specifically killed, and not necessarily when you drop to zero hit points or are unconscious. You could add some kind of frozen effect, or. Yeah, exhaustion. Exhaustion I've, I've kind of fallen back on quite a few times, but that's probably the easiest thing. Exhaustion, um, and exhaustion is naturally curable, so that is actually not a bad idea. I wish the first one was to slow your speed, though, because I think that's not till uh, exhaustion level 2. Yeah. But, yeah, that would be pretty effective. The other thing is you could bake it into their attacks, which I've seen monsters, I don't think Watsi does this, but I've seen some monsters like Cobalt Press. In fact, I think the Thwelli has this, doesn't it? Where literally their basic attack has a chance to cause exhaustion. Yeah, look at this. Their basic claw attack, which it's a CR10 monster, it's pretty huge. This would be an interesting boss fight too if I could work it out. Maybe maybe they fight it later at Grim Scala or something. Um, if the target is wearing metal armor, which actually I'm not sure anybody is... Is studded leather armor not metal? Also, did it ever really exist? 
The target's wearing metal armor. It must make a successful DC 17 con save or gain one level of exhaustion. Okay, so it's only if they're wearing metal armor. But still, that's a high DC, and it's just during its basic attack, which is already extremely painful. That means that I have a pretty unique party that's actually probably not wearing a whole lot of metal armor. We don't. Our, our two front lines are a monk and barbarian, which are hilariously armorless. I have not used much Shardlin Insanity. Um, you're actually pretty close on spelling it right. Most people uh, miss completely. <laughs> uh, destroy our acronyms. Um, I haven't. I should mess with that more for Edmund especially. Um, what I need to do is do a better job of turning some of these places into uh, character-specific uh, arcs that they can work through. Because something I haven't been able to do as well in this campaign as I did in Tomb was to do those specific character arc stories because I've had to do so much work for the main story. The main story needed a ton of work on my end. Um, and that's unfortunately kind of left uh, the players to come up with little things that I can work with from there. Now, it ended up being that Edmund happened to have a big one in Sunblight that it almost ended up being his character arc, even though it has nothing to do with the Dwerger, you know, with his backstory or even how he was acting, but just the way he took control of it kind of became his thing. Um, it Ascendant was definitely meant to be focusing on Celeste, which I thought it, it did, but it basically only lasted the one session. Um, Revel's End, I plan on focusing on Thimbleweed because the the uh, insect creature that was pulled out of him was taken by uh, Ness Lantamere, the, the ghostly super-powered version of Ness Lantamere, and released in that prison and created like an aliens situation that the players will have to go through, and I plan on doing some creepy cool stuff with Thimbleweed there, uh, which leaves us with... Uh, Valravin uh, and Frey, and Frey was this one kind of. This is the Goliath ones for uh, Frey was basically dealing with the Goliaths, and she gets rewarded with um, the uh, the better axe at the end of this uh, quest line. I guess Valravin, to an extent, was involved with uh, way back in the uh, Care Denival, I believe, with the uh, avarice there and dealing with the politics of all that situation. That was kind of his thing. Maybe Lost Spire, I can concentrate more on the Shardlin stuff with Edmund, although it's it's more about the cloning facility that I've got there, but that would still probably interest him from a, a science perspective. But I probably should start baking that in, especially as we're getting later in the campaign. Maybe it's starting to, the Shardlin's starting to affect them a little bit more and maybe include that as a, like, hey, prolonged exposure to using Shardlin has started to, um, you know, affected you. And maybe even every, I don't know how to do that, either do an RP version of it or do a mechanical version of it or both. Uh, mechanical being, hey, you li literally need to make saves or things happen to you versus RP, which is, hey, you start feeling this way and, you know, you feel like there's corruption is coming out. And maybe you start with an RP and then you kind of give the hint to the player, like, this stuff is um, kind of affecting you in a negative way. And then the player can choose to, you know, immediately disengage from that or say, okay, whatever, DM. And then that was my way of kind of giving you a warning, <laughs> and then I can do something from there, but it's a good question. Uh, so those are the Colite Walkers. I think that'll be fun and creepy, because the players will certainly not be expecting that. I've I've never done the um, the the sudden undead from corpse thing, I think, in this game. Although it, it's a very classic D&D move, but it's not something I believe I've done from this game. Well, I did the sudden undead in the the one time we did play undead, which somebody did remind me, the, the dungeon I created, which was the dig site, a bunch of specters flew up and attacked the player, so that was uh, certainly a surprise, but um, there weren't bodies there to spawn them from. And no, I'm not going to get a surprise round off here. It'll just be... The, the surprise will be that the um, uh, the Cold Light Walkers just, uh, you know, get to roll. What I'll probably do 
you know what I need to, what I need to do is I need to roll initiative for them alongside the peritons and that way the players won't really notice all the initiatives being rolled hopefully and then um whenever I deem it the right time I can then move them from the GM layer to the token layer and then they've already got their initiatives rolled so in other words there's no weird like oh the DM's rolling initiative here in the you know after in round two or something so I need to try to remember to roll initiative for everybody um, but then just leave the Coli walkers there and then either whenever one of their turns comes up or at the start of the round depending on how generous I'm feeling for having them stand up uh, then I can start executing their moves but it's just there to make it a more difficult combat encounter, which, because the Peritons are, I mean, yeah, they did a lot of damage initially to the players, and they're actually pretty effective because they can just keep flying and do their thing, and it stymies some of the melee. Although, as we determined, Celeste is actually, I think, just as good range because she's the monk she's got is the is the uh, the Sun Soul monk, which that's their whole thing is basically they, their their punches turn into like ranged radiant blasts. So perfectly fine there. In fact, the only one it really stymies is uh, Frey for the most part. I'm sure someone will try to hucker at a periton, which would be delightful. Um, so from there, the players won't really gain any information except for the fact that there's a cave with a bunch of bodies leading out of it. And the cave is, of course, going to be... Oh, that's true. You could do that, Morgan. I'm, I'm too used to using the, uh, the initiative tracker, but you could always roll it manually and hidden it. Yep. So then we move to... The Remoraz layer. Uh, which, by the way, I, I the designer reached out to me of the Worm Doom Hunt adventure. Oops, bring Thimbleweed back down here. Uh, and uh, offered to do a, a partner me with a giveaway. So I'm going to plan on doing that giveaway. Um, I'll, I could launch it uh, today and then have it uh, end maybe at the end of tomorrow night's stream because I, I really want to get through this adventure um, because I'm on vacation next week, so I think that'd be a really good stopping point. So we, we may be in for a longer, a longer one here, because I really want to fit this in, and we know combat can take a while. Uh, but this is from the Worm Doom Hunt adventure. I've mentioned this several times by now, but it certainly bears repeating. In fact, let me go ahead and link it in the crafting chat again. Um, I'm, and I've, I've kind of also mentioned that I'm really only using uh, the maps because the original worm doom hunt uh which is by dan khan who has created a lot of really great material for existing uh dnd adventures i actually reviewed a bunch of his stuff for wild beyond the Witchlight, and he um very much is a designer to my own heart because he we seem to have kind of the same uh themes and ideas for a lot of uh adventures in terms of we like dungeon crawls like and, and wild beyond the Witchlight, while i think has some really neat ideas and a neat setting, just to use an example, does not have very much in the way of actual dungeon crawls involved. So he added some in there, and they're all pretty effective and fun and, and cool ideas. And uh, same thing here, he just kind of expanded on certain areas, like the whole, and I mentioned the fact that the Goliath thing, like as written in uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, is kind of weird, the fact that you get those really fancy maps for both Goliath clans that look like dungeon crawls, because they're, they're itemized by room, but there's no dungeon crawling to be involved there. I guess you could fight the Goliaths, but most parties aren't going to do that. So uh, he uh, created this uh, adventure called Worm Doom Hunt, which basically you get a monster hunting adventure uh, quest from the uh, uh, from the Goliaths, and that's how you can bring them together by completing uh, this quest. 
Um, so I, I definitely used his idea for that. The difference is I, I changed basically everything because uh, my players are um, much uh, higher level, so I had to upgrade everything, and my players have already dealt with a frost giant and a white dragon, which is what the original adventure uh, called for, which is a cool idea. Nothing against that because that's, you know, definitely um, what you would... Uh, it's very thematic to the region, and I think it works pretty well in that regard. Yes, ma'am. Hi, that was loud. Let me link this to you. So this is a link to the uh, the Worm Doom Hunt. Shh, shh, shh. Hey, what are you doing? Oh my goodness, you want to see what Daddy's doing? This is called a Remoraz. Can you say Remoraz? Um, yeah, there you go. Uh, there's a picture. Okay. Yeah, it looks like a giant uh, demonoid centipede that thing. That's, that's my mic. Let's not turn that off. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ah. Yeah. We get real-time baby aggro. How fun. Hey, what's Sissy doing? You want to go play with Sissy? No. Do we need another snack? Okay. Snacks? Yeah, snacks not here. Snacks. There's no snacks here. That Remoraz might snack on you. It's married. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> uh -oh. What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, oh. oh dear. Why would you say that to you? Oh dear. Um. Now I got some more bodies in here for the Goliaths that might have survived. I could even include some more bodies. I don't know how many initially left. I never actually gave that information, so I could. Uh, use multiple uh, corpses in here and create more of a little death zone. Actually, you know what I should do is use skeletal bodies. If it was, how did what? Do you remember where I found this one from? So anyway, uh, Worm Doom Hunt. Um, I think it's a really cool adventure, but I had to change basically the entire structure of it because uh, my players were uh, too. Uh, high a level for the content and I didn't want them facing a frost giant and a white dragon because we had just done all that but I teased the idea of a white dragon here because I thought that'd be a fun way because I didn't want to actually reveal what they were really facing so I'm I'm using the maps and I'm using the idea of a monster hunt from the Goliaths so I'm definitely still promoting um, uh, his work for sure but I'm not actually uh, running the adventure as written which you know that's Pretty much what we all do, I think. These actually are skeletal bodies, they're just wearing things. This is from an art pack called Corpses, Gore, and Murder Weapons. Oh, Drowned might work. Yeah, that actually looks better for Frozen. There we go. I don't know how big to make them. Yeah, apologies for the baby aggro, but that's, that's the quality that you get on a map layer. More court. Ooh, there we go. A half skeleton like coming out of the water. That's great. Let's actually move this one. It looked like there was a big old massacre here. Look at that. Perfection. Onto the map layer with ye. <laughs> In fact, can I put this one and move it to the front? There we go. Covers it up. Perfect. Perfect. Hello, Nate. Can't wait for this pen feeling someone's gonna get swallowed and drax their way out. Yes! 
That would be amazing. <laughs> Shout out to the opening scene from Guardians 2. Um, I, that'll be really interesting. And, and, and what we thought of last time, um, literally this came up on, on the Monday stream, is, and this depends entirely on how the players approach this battle, because I do want to have layer actions, because it is a very unique, cool layer. And you always wonder, how are the players going to start? Because I don't want to just launch a surprise round on them, because that's... Uh, I, I don't want to just... Here's an always interesting dilemma I have as a DM. Things happen when a party enters a room, right? In a dungeon. Well, a lot of times, you've got like one person tentatively taking a step into a room. So you always have to wonder, and I, I wonder as a DM, when do I pull the trigger on the trigger, right? <laughs> when does a thing get triggered? Um, and that's a hard thing to work out the timing for, and especially, and this might be a thing that's more unique to uh, running on a virtual tabletop and Roll20, is when you actually have like tokens on the board and it becomes very aware of positioning uh, is actually more uh, concrete than it would be if we were playing on a table. And it's just like, all right, well, you know, yeah, we're, we're going in the room. Versus like, okay, you look at the tokens, like, okay, well, two of you made it in the room, the other two are kind of lingering, like, when do I trigger the thing happening? Because that obviously, you know, it matters. Like, either a trap's going to happen, or monster's going to rise up, or something. That matters on who's getting, you know, targeted, and who's all making saves, and all that happens. So, uh, obviously, I want my party to be able to get to this point, um, and start investigating these bodies, and I'm going to describe the room, and describe, like, the dragon body over here, um, you know what I need to do is put the treasure over here, too. We need to talk about treasure. Um, let's put the... Maybe we should put the horde over here. Would be a good one. Because that would certainly entice the players like nobody's business. Um, so I'm trying to figure out at what point do I want to actually pull the trigger on this battle that's coming. Because the players, they're going into this cave thinking, okay, because even when they see all the bodies and stuff, they're still thinking, okay, well, these poor Goliaths just got their asses kicked by a dragon. So we're going to have to go in there, and yeah, this is all environmental storytelling that, you know, these bodies, you know, the Goliaths clearly died from the dragon. Um, now, if they try to be smart and actually identify the bodies, I should have notes about that. Um, maybe um, I can tease the fact that there's a lot of burn wounds on the Goliaths, and then that would cause much consternation from the players because they'd be like, wait a minute, they said a dragon, they said white dragon. Like, why would it be burn wounds? So that could be pretty interesting. Um, but they wouldn't be able to necessarily know um, immediately based on that. And then, however, a lot of them, as I mentioned, they did uh, succumb to... Um, these are all treasure chests. I should do, like, a horde... Pot. There we go. Oh, that's a stupid... That's a little cartoony. I just want, like, a horde... Dragon's Den... Oh, it's pixelated. That's cute. Doesn't really fit my aesthetic, but that's really cute looking. Gold pile, cool sword. <laughs> it sure is. Um, here we go. Here we go. That's probably a bigger sword pile than I want. It's a. I don't want to. I mean, it, it should be smaller than Aviatrice's sword. Uh, it looks like a lot of coins. Here we go. One by one, is this too much? Or maybe they're thinking like Draco Lich or something, that could be cool. Could even put it like, you know, by the dragons. They're like, oh shit, we gotta make it past the dragon, are you kidding me? And that looks like a lot of coins right there. Um, 
Maybe I can create like a nest type looking thing. I don't know what the dragon would have. Well, a white dragon would still be at home in the snow, so I think that's okay. Alright, and is this easily visible? Come back here, Thumbleweed. Oh, really not. Hopefully somebody's got a torch. You know what I could do is <laughs> literally do the tantalizing DM thing and like light it up. But I don't think this area would be lit up very well. Part of the creepiness. Dynamic lighting setup. Yeah, you even got nocturnal mode on. Uh, hopefully somebody's got a torch they can see a little bit better than that. She's actually got a little bit of light that's better. I think she's got like a glowing stone or something. I've got nothing on this left side of the room. This is not meant to be a, a full dungeon. This is just meant to be uh, a boss room. Straight up. So we talked about layer actions last time from Home Field Advantage, um, which uh, I'm going to trigger whenever we trigger the main boss. However, something we also talked about on Monday that I am kind of leaning towards, and again, this is building off what I said about when to trigger the room, is maybe you have one of the young ones pop out first, and they think, oh man, this is a crazy monster coming out of here, and then uh, we can just roll battle roll initiative for the that's and here's the difference if the players are really lingering and they're holding back and they're trying to figure out what to do because these things all have tremor sense so they're going to know but maybe just for funsies you have one of the littles pop out first um you know literally one of the young ones which has i don't know what cr they are i'm going to consider it a cr5 but they're basically a remoraz with reduced ac reduced hit points their heated body doesn't do as much damage and their bite doesn't do as much damage, nor has the attack. They also can't swallow people. So, just a way worse version of the mama creature. So you can have that be the initial thing. I fully expect all the players to absolutely kick its ass. And then you have uh, mama suddenly emerge afterwards with the rest of the younglings. And then start the battle. The only problem with that is that that depends on two things. One, how what the players are doing when they enter this room. And two, how much time we have. <laughs> Because that might add uh, too much to the combat. Unless I literally take... Because I was going to run with one mama and two younglings. And I could take one of those younglings and attack the players first. Oh, I swallowed something very wrong. <laughs> Woo! What was that? Started choking to death. Ugh. I apologize. <laughs> God. What? Just went down my throat like a dust, dust speck or something. It's not like I have to talk right now. Oh, God. Sorry. My eyes are all watered now, too. Boy, that's worse than the baby aggro. Good Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's dying over here. Um, I still can't talk very well. Yikes. What was I talking about? Oh, so my concern was to uh, separate the Remorazes. <laughs> sorry, I cannot. What just happened? Uh, and make the fight uh, more easier for the players because I've taken one of them out and now I'm only going to... And to where they can fight it separately. And then the other one is going to stick with the adult. I have no idea what's happening in my voice right now. <clears throat> I'm going through puberty again. That's pleasant. Oh my goodness. Because uh, I do want this to be a pretty memorable fun fight. Um, 
And the layer actions will hopefully help with that. And I don't plan on running the layer actions until uh, Mama comes out. So the layer actions, which are uh, which I did uh, look up the on Monday stream. You can go look at that one. I can speak properly on that one. Um, and uh, from the Home Field Advantage, which was is, is a great resource. I did a giveaway for that one earlier this year. Um, one of my favorite products of the year. Hi, you turd. Uh, so I plan on running some of those layer actions for. Uh, this monster as well, which appear on initiative 20, and that just adds a thing that's going to happen to the players. Uh, in this case, it is a geyser blasts of steam, um, either anywhere in the room or maybe out of the water itself. But creatures within five feet have to make a DC uh, 17 deck save. I should write down decks uh, for 3d6 fire damage. Um, the other one is that the cave shakes and a stalactite falls, uh, basically on a uh, probably in one five-foot square, which I can do the same. Uh, what I would like to do is do a 1d4 for stalactites, actually. And then maybe that determines just how many players get affected by them, and of course those are the ones that's going to be hitting. And then uh, I can just target whoever with that, and then maybe it's a DC 17. Uh, maybe it, maybe that one's easier to dodge. Unfortunately, it's also a deck save, but I think that's okay. Um, and, the, and the final one is that steam rises around Mama Rimaraz and basically causes disadvantage to anybody making ranged attacks um, against her. Which is a pretty good buff for her to just to create. Ah, I think my voice is finally coming back, sorry. Alright, um, in terms of a... And the Rimarazes don't have any treasure themselves, but because it's a dragon's lair, probably a young dragon, I'm thinking? <clears throat> Uh, then we can create a dragon horde, and that would be basically the player's treasure. Although they're also going to be rewarded because they'll go back to the Goliath, and Frey will get a chance to upgrade her axe, which I do not have uh, any idea what I'm going to do there. I might add like another plus one attack and damage rolls, and maybe another ability. I'll have to look and see um, ideas I have for that. I don't want rules. I want creatures. If it was an adult, maybe they could have taken down an adult. So the question is, could a Remoraz take down an adult dragon? Probably not. CR 14. Alright, so probably it was a young dragon's lair. So it was a young one. What does a young dragon look like? More like CR 6. Yeah, so a young dragon they could probably take down. So in that case, we look at the... I'm going to actually look at the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, under, I don't know if this is in Rule 20 or not, actually. Uh, Treasure Horde? Okay, I can finally talk again. I have no idea what came over me. Let's see. There we go. Alright, so I want uh, Treasure Horde, Challenge 5 to 10. These are not hyperlinks for some reason. And we're going to roll... And, of course, I always <clears throat> maintain the right to change my rules around. And we're going to just determine what would a treasure horde challenge for a challenge 5 to 10 uh, look like for a dragon. And just to get an example of what kind of stuff that would be included there. Uh, so it looks like coins. Do you roll on each one of these for coins? Seems like a lot. 700 copper, 7,000 silver, 2,000 gold, and 100 platinum pieces. Does it always have that many coins? Jeez. 
mean, there's a lot of coins here. Uh, I mean, I guess we can look at that. Let's see. So, 2d6. We'll look and see what it gives. Alright, so that would be 1,100 copper pieces. What a pain in the ass. 2d6 times 1,000. Oh my gosh, 10,000 silver pieces. I have been fairly stingy with money, I think. I'd have to look and see what the players look like. But they've, they've also gotten some good treasure items. 66. Just rolling really well? I actually don't know what 17 is. That seems a little bit under. Uh, so that'd be 1,700. Yeah, that is under. 1,700 gold pieces. That is a lot. I mean, they didn't get that much from Aviatris. <clears throat> and 3d6 is 13. I rolled really well for that one. 1,300. No, not 1,300. Sorry. 130 uh, platinum pieces. That's a huge frickin' pile. How much is baked into the Aviatris one? Does that actually say? Uh, it was Dark Duchess. E9, the hold, treasure. Which I know it's not her full hoard. It, it says, doesn't represent Aviatris' entire hoard, merely a small portion she chose during War of the Dark Duchess. Which that had like 70 gold, two pearls, um, art objects worth a couple hundred, Gold and third less because 200 gold, but then more treasure items. A black pearl is 500 gold, 300 gold. All right, so you probably are actually at 1,000 gold. And then the fourth layer straight up has another 1,000 gold piece <clears throat> object. Seven garnet, 700 gold. All right, so you probably do have a young dragon's worth of gold at least. I'm not sure about platinum and silver. Interesting. But my players were not able to get nearly, um, were not able to acquire most of that because the dragon was returning at the time. <laughs> they had to skedaddle out of there pretty quickly. All right, so now let's roll D100 and see what that gives them. Rolled a 74, which would give them 2D4, 250 gold art objects, and I roll 1D4 times on magic item table C. So let's roll 2d4. That's a lot of gold. Five 250 gold art piece objects. That's a lot of objects for me to come up with. Uh, well, there is a table for that, isn't there? Yeah, there it is. Art objects, 250 gold. There it is. So you could roll that five times, I guess, and come up with different items. <clears throat> You'd think we would have exhausted this by now. That was a d10 for every campaign we ever played. Or I could come up with some more interesting ones, but that's a lot. Five of those things? Jesus. You just I just doubled their gold amount. Alright, let's get to the interesting part, which is the magic items. Treasure hoard, where was I? 74, 5 to 10. Uh roll 1d4 times on magic item table C. Can I actually click this? That is not magic item table C, damn it. Where are the magic item tables? I've got my book open, but I'm hoping to give you guys visual aids. Okay, let's search for a magic item table. Aha! Only 1d4 times 
This isn't a... Where's the table? I clicked on the table and it just gave me the... It just... Okay. I don't know if the links are broken in here. <clears throat> I mean, that's true, Stan, but I'll, I'll, also I've never really cared about inventory stuff. Like, people just can pocket all this. I, I, I prefer the video game logic. And even then, not the survival crafting games you have to worry about encumbrance, but the ones where basically just pick up whatever. <laughs> I don't think we've ever in any of our campaigns worried about any of that. Although, to be fair, I also probably give the players a bag of holding at some point. That's probably why we don't care. Was there no way to actually... Get to the magic item tables on roll 20? Because these don't link properly. Damn. Alright, well, unfortunately, I'm just going to have to use my book then. Hopefully, you've all got the DMG open. GR 1D4. Ah, oh, you roll once. That's no fun. You can always replace some of the gold with a better loot. Alright, so magic item table C is on page 145. So let's roll a D100. 84 is a Qualls Feather Token. Well, that'd be something Val Robin wants. Qualls Feather Token. <clears throat> oh, different kinds of feather tokens exist. Oh, I should. I can. I think I can look this up on. Here, can I? Oh, two A's. Oh, each one is individually different. Okay. Type of... Okay, so roll 20 just separates each one of them. So, you could roll a D100. Why is it a D100? Why on earth is this a D100? There's six of them. <laughs> Why not just a D6 game? Weird. I guess... Oh, I see. There's different... The anchor is a 20% chance. The whip is a 10% chance. Slightly different percentages for each one. Not very battle-oriented, yeah. Which is fine. You don't have to have a lot of battle stuff. Uh, well, you don't need this one. Use an action to touch the token to a boat or ship. Vessel can't be moved by any means. <laughs> okay, anchor is your... Well, that's that's actually pretty interesting. Is the descendant not a boat or a ship? So that's the way they could park it. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Normally not, normally pretty uh, limited in use, but they could literally use that to uh, park their ship. Okay, so that's technically, it's technically kind water. of useful. Yeah, it's my water you're drinking. See the bird. Cross tongue of five in the air, taking this person north, multi-color bird takes place. Bird is taking of a rock, but obeys the simple commands it can't attack. So it pure, okay, so it's purely for travel purposes. That's very cool if they didn't already have a travel thing. So they do. Uh, the fan, if you're in a boat or a ship, you can use an action to toss the fan up to 10 feet in the air. The token disappears and a giant flapping fan takes its place. The fan floats, creates a wind strong to fill the sails of a ship. Very niche. Jeez. One boat and action to touch the token boat. Okay, create a boat. Also, a lot of these are... Transportation based, which my players ironically don't need as of very recently. Tree must be outdoors. You can actually touch to an unoccupied space on the ground. The token disappears and in its place. A non magical oak tree springs into existence. 
Okay. Weird. This tree is 60 feet tall and has a 5 foot diameter trunk and its branches at the top spread out in a 20 foot radius. Do you get this? Do you get this back or is this a one time like thing? <laughs> you know, all the rest say that when the effect ends, you get the token back. This one doesn't say that. Closing the rift in the twisted wreath. Oh. Oh, you played the Twisted Wreath. Nice. <laughs> I played that one too recently. Uh, that Yeah, that's interesting. I guess you could use that in an outdoor battle situation to just create a 60-foot tall tree. Yeah, that is a one-time use. That's very specific, and I'm just not sure. I mean, you're never sure. Your players could always find different ways of using it to plant a tree, a big-ass tree. <clears throat> They're being attacked from above or something? They can use that as a cover? I don't know. Alright. Weird, interesting, I guess. And then the whip. One point token to me. The token is raised and a floating whip takes its place. You can use a bonus action to make a melee spell attack against a creature within 10 feet of the whip. Attack a bonus of plus 9. Wow. When I hit the target, it takes 1d6 plus 5 force damage. That's pretty solid. You can direct the whip to flap to 20 feet and repeat the attack against a creature within 10 feet of it. The whip disappears after an hour. Reincapacitate or die. This also seems like it is a... Oh yeah, it does say each with a different single-use effect. You get to just create a floating weapon, like a spiritual hammer type thing. Hmm. Useful for trees tried for druids. Yeah, I think that's true. All of these are very niche and specific. The anchor is the only one that's funny because that does give them the ability to uh, lock their ship. <laughs> so I might, I might keep that one. The others all seem like they give you modes of transportation. We'll drag that one on here. Um, let's roll one more time and see what. Maybe a couple more times. I don't know. I always like giving magic items. I like ones that aren't attunable items at this point, too, because the players have a lot of that stuff um, already. Uh, let's see. Magic item C, 76. Oh, oil of Etherealness. They already have Oil of Etherealness. Literally gave that to them at one point. They've probably forgotten about it. Um, they got it at the dig site. Who has that? Somebody has it. Because they they fought the phase spiders and there was literally like a, a potion in the kitchen that had that same um, effect. Somebody, Edmund, you probably grabbed it. I'm I like getting my players loot. I'm usually pretty generous with loot. All right, well, if nobody grabbed it, then not my problem. <laughs> Somebody back me up on this. I know I gave it to them. unless they didn't. Maybe they didn't find it. Did they not find it? I put it in the kitchen area. Maybe they never went to the kitchen. After they fought them, what did they use it already? Their character sheets are just a disaster. Where would it even be? Robin has a lot of shit. There's a bunch of scrolls. Fairy fire, cure wounds, blindness. Alas. Dark vision scroll. Okay. Maybe they never found it. <clears throat> Potion of fire since after the fight would be humorous. Yeah, that's... That's very, uh, that's a very classic video game move. Give them the thing. Yeah, I'm probably giving them too much loot at, at this point. But I, 
I don't know. I feel like I kind of have to. Like, that's because they're going on all these side quests. And, like, that, the point of side quests, and maybe I'm just too much of a, a video gamer, is XP and loot. Like, I mean, yeah, content is fun, and you want to have good story there, but you it's, it's, it's character progression, right? You're always going to be making your character stronger. And uh, we don't... I can't dole out XP because I use milestone leveling, which um, I, we can talk about if, if we should level them up after this. I think I'm scheduled to do that uh, whenever I did my notes back when I was trying to figure out if they were gonna, how I was going to level them up in this second act. So technically they are getting XP, but I'm not like literally rewarding them with XP. But, you know, loot is uh, just such a great reward. So yeah, I like giving them loot for that kind of thing. And at level 9, I mean, the problem is they, they keep accumulating this loot, and I want them to use at least the finite stuff more and more. And the attunable stuff always stays with them. So obviously as you level up, you're just going to get more and more and more loot. And uh, normally that's not a problem, but in 5e it kind of does become a overbalancing issue because you can be successful in 5e with really without any loot except for marshals do need magic weapons to take on creatures once they get to like tier 2 you want to make my notes alright so I said <clears throat> leveled up to 7 after the Shardland Dragon they leveled up to 8 after they did the dig site they leveled to 9 after Dark Duchess and Yarlmoot so I propose they could actually level up to 10 after doing It Ascendant and the Goliaths, which is really hasn't taken them that long, relatively. I mean, if you look at when the It Ascendant started, all my Google Doc notes. Uh, where did we start with that one? How long have we been level 9? Not very long. 1, 2, 3, 4. This will be the 5th session at level 9. So only 5 sessions at 9, but we only spent... One, two, three, four, five, six. Got seven sessions at eight. I thought that was pretty quick. No, we spent four sessions at seven. That was a quicker one. So, but I kind of mentioned we're in a bit of a fast pace because after this, we only have Lost Spire and then Rebel's End in terms of the mainland quests and uh, both of those being chapter two quests that I'm scaling up. So in that case, um, we could level them up to 11 after they do those, then they're 11 for um, Grimscala. Let's write this down, actually, in my notes. So it'll be 10 for Lost Spire and Rebel's End. And both of them, definitely, that'll be a fun one to talk about because I'm jacking up the difficulty and dungeon crawling on both of those uh, areas. And then level 11 will be the Island of Solstice and Grimscala, I think. Which I won't have to change as much because it's already designed for, I think... Well, I'm not actually sure what level it's designed for. Where does it have those notes? Running the adventure... There we go. Uh, well, yeah, Arl's Abode is designed for level 7, so actually, yeah, we'll be, I'll need to scale that up quite a bit. <laughs> But if they're level 11 for that, uh, then they could be 12 for Caves of Hunger. Assuming I don't... Yeah, because they'll be level 11. I think Group Skull and All Solstice. And then they'll reach 12 Caves of Hunger. I guess Caves of Hunger can be all of level 12. 
And level 13 can be um, Etherin. And then basically level them to 14 at some point while they're in Etherin because they'll be in there a while doing all those hours and things. And so maybe they end up at 14 at the end. Or maybe I do a thing where they level to 15 like right before the final boss or something just to be uh, kind of what I did with uh, Tomb of Annihilation. But yeah, I think that would still fit my level scaling. So they're very properly near the end of Tier 3 uh, by the time they're at the end. Maybe they didn't get that oil of etherealness then. I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I guess maybe they just never found it. I don't know. I I gave them the option. Roll again. 38 is a potion of gaseous form. All right. So it wants me to give him some potions, which I can I can do that. Gaseous form actually sounds pretty useful too. I'm just looking at options here. 68 is a spell scroll of fifth level. Wow. No. So we can give them the qual's feather token. of the anchor, and then a, I guess potion of, ga I feel like they, somebody's already got gaseous form as a spell, but I guess it saves you a spell slot. Thought Edmund did, but maybe not. Oh yeah, he does, there it is, third level. Yeah, but if you know, potion anybody could use. Maybe I'll do potion of gaseous form. I mean, a potion of uh, just good healing would be, appreciated i believe so yeah i'm probably not gonna do any big attuned items here because it's just i've given them so much they've already got all signature weapons some of them have good cloaks and armor um i can reward them with the axe maybe i could even reward them with um a cloak of protection because that's what the uh, goliath chieftain from the Wormdoom crag has if they you know do because they'll complete this quest that'll bring the tribes together Although the runic axe is also the upgrade of the axe is also kind of the reward for this this whole quest, but they'll be getting a nice little treasure haul from the dragon, basically a young dragon's treasure hoard worth of stuff, which should be a pretty nice haul. And maybe you know what that'll be an interesting thing if they decide to give any of this to uh, the Goliaths, even though technically Goliaths have no more right to it than uh, the party does. But it would be something to give, like, hey, this is for compensation. Although the Goliaths don't really work for Currency. I guess if they go to town, then they do buy some stuff. So what I'd like to do is try to get through that whole fight um, in the uh, outside the cave, and then get through this whole fight as well. It's going to be a lot, um, but it would be good timing to try and squeeze all that in to uh, get this adventure done, and then uh, hopefully we can kind of complete the whole Goliath thing. And then if if we do, then I may turn the Goliath games into just a kind of epilogue story thing. If we don't then I'll save this fight, unfortunately, for um, two weeks from now, and then we'll finish it all, and then maybe we'll also do the Goliath games as a as a longer epilogue in that session. Or maybe I just want to have this Rimrise thing take up an entire session, because it very well could be with a boss fight. So I may be trying to bite off more than I can chew. It really depends on how long that Periton Cold Light Walker fight lasts. Uh, but we will see. Pacing is always a concern of mine, and it's it can be tricky running games that are only like, you know, two and a half hours long um, when big combat's involved, because you do kind of want to have as much... Uh, time as possible and that does color some of the challenges that i can throw at the players where normally i might you know throw more things at them or uh not fudge so much on hp but i'm worried about just trying to squeeze that in there and hence why i like the glass cannon creatures the most the ones that can do all that damage but not hang around uh too much
All right, I think that is going to do it for this Thursday edition of Crafting Icewind Dale. Thank you for your patience for multiple baby aggros and me like choking on nothing, unable to speak for a little bit of time. That was not fun for me. Uh, if you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Adam, Stan, William, I'm Loud, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Roll, Christopher, Brian, William, and David. And Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Preboy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Passica, Tortoise, Scott, Humanoid, Size, Sphincters, and Stephanie. Thank you all very much for your support, and I'll see you for D&D &D tomorrow.